this episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with Rob Chestnut, formerly the Chief Ethics Officer and General Counsel of Airbnb. Rob is one of the most compelling voices in business ethics. Today we will discuss his recent book, Intentional Integrity, in which he draws upon his experience as well as behavioral science to provide a roadmap for companies on how to embed integrity into their corporate culture. Given the corporate crises that fill our daily headlines, it is a particularly crucial time for all of us to be more intentional about integrity. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Rob. Thanks for having me on, Amelia. So today we will be discussing your recent book, Intentional Integrity, Uh, but I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what prompted you to write this book. Well, I'm a lawyer by trade. Uh, I started as a federal prosecutor, actually, and then moved to Silicon Valley. Gosh, it's been 20 years. Uh, I was an early employee at eBay and then general counsel at Chegg and general counsel at Airbnb for a number of years. And that's when I really got interested in uh, this idea of ethics and integrity at companies. Uh, You know, it it struck me uh, with the beginning of the Me Too movement and problems at Uber and the like, that the world was changing and that people were being, were holding companies to a higher standard. And I think because uh, the world needs companies to step up. We've got some big issues that are confronting us. Uh, Climate change is just one example. I think people have lost a little bit of faith in government's ability to to solve these problems. Uh, And I think they're looking to companies to step up and start focusing on things other than just a quarterly profit number. So when I saw this evolution, uh, we started working on things at Airbnb that were designed uh, with this in mind. Brian always, you know, the the CEO, Brian Chesky, always talks about trying to see where the puck is going and anticipate and go there instead of where the puck currently is. And so given the fact that integrity is a lot more, I I think, increasingly important, how would you do things differently? How would you operate differently? And that's what we started focusing on. And I tell you, it resonated so much with the employees at the company and so strongly, I think, with all the people around the company that I, I thought it would be a fun thing to share with people outside of Airbnb. Well, thank you so much for writing this book at such a crucial juncture uh, for business and for our society. Um, but I want to ask you this. Everyone thinks that they have integrity, but week after week, we see organizations and companies come under fire for failing to live up to their values. So why is this different? What is intentional integrity and how could it help us get out of this integrity crisis? Well, I think we're all, uh, we all give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. I go into rooms and ask who has integrity and everybody raises their hand. But then you go, uh, you go pull up your computer and you see problem after problem with the way people act. You know what, I think that in, in silence and in ambiguity, uh, if people are in environments where no one talks about integrity, that frees them up really to interpret for themselves what they think integrity means. And we all know that we all cut ourselves a break. And we all tend to fudge a little bit in our own self-interest, and we're, particularly if we're good at rationalizing things. So uh, data has actually shown that 
work environments where people are very creative or highly intelligent are actually more prone to integrity issues because people are really good about rationalizing what they're doing as being okay. And that's, that I think is the challenge. So uh, intentional integrity is about going beyond the silence, going beyond the sort of rote compliance, check the box things that integrity in the past I think has been. And having an open human authentic conversation at organizations about how you want to operate, what the rules are going to be, how we're going to treat each other, what our North Star is, what our purpose is as a company. Because I think when you start to articulate those things in a human way, starting from the leader at the top, um, you send a clear message about this is how things are going to be. And then there's no more ambiguity. Then people aren't free to go off and do things the way they want to do. And it's interesting, Amelia, you know, integrity is actually contagious. The more you surround yourself with people who act with integrity, and the more everyone talks about integrity as being important, the more likely it is that people are going to act with integrity. The more there's silence and the lack of communication about this, and the more people are free to interpret things the way that might be in their interest, the more problems you're going to have. Now, one thing that I wanted to emphasize, and, and we touched, you touched upon it a little bit in your comments, is how rooted in the behavioral science your book is. Um, so integrity is a check the box exerciser has been traditionally uh, through the compliance function, but you draw upon so much of the behavioral science in your book. How does that uh, influence your thinking and how does that influence how you operationalize integrity uh, at Airbnb and your recommendations for other companies? Well, it, it, it has quite a bit of influence on my thinking in this area. The, uh, the past, let's talk about what people have done in the past. Look, uh, leaders are uncomfortable talking about integrity because they don't want to get into controversy, right? And they feel like they're here for business. They don't want to get into other people's personal lives, right? So, they, out, they do what they do with everything that's uncomfortable. They outsource it to legal, right? And they give it to HR, let those guys do it. Right. And when that happens, when the lawyers get their hands on it, uh, or HR gets their hands on it, well, they, they start with a code of ethics. Well, where do they get the code of ethics? Well, often they go onto the internet and they find someone else's code of ethics. They copy it, they put their own company name at the top, and then they email it out to everybody and say, check this box saying you've read it. The irony of someone stealing a code of ethics from somebody else. <laughs> um, so the, the people in, in science have looked at, um, you know, what happens in environments where there's this sort of check the box mentality and no one's really talking about it. You know, Dan Ariely does some great things at Duke University studying dishonesty. And you know, he's the one that really taught me about fudging, about how everyone fudges in their own self-interest. Uh, and however, if you just remind them about their, their, own, uh, their own sense of what's right and wrong and remind them of integrity, their behavior improves dramatically. I and mean, he runs one test where 70% of the people consistently will actually lie. They'll fudge in their own self-interest. He runs the same experiment, but reminds everyone before the experiment tells them, write down all the Ten Commandments that you can remember. Well, no one remembers all the Ten Commandments, but it doesn't matter. Just the fact that people are reminded of it actually causes the cheating to virtually disappear. So the, just learning things like that got me thinking about, well, 
you could really do a lot at a company if you just have the courage as a leader to talk about the importance of ethics and integrity. Because we all want to feel good about ourselves. So if we think that our neighbor or we think that our leader is acting with integrity, that actually pushes us to act with integrity as well. If we think that nobody else cares, then it's like, oh, oh okay, well, I saw the leader do this, so it must be okay that I can do it too, and I'll still feel good about myself. So you break this process up in a fairly granular way in your book, and you call it the process of six C's. Can you walk us through those six C's and then give us an example of one or two? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start with the first one, which is CEO, because if the leaders at, if the leader at a company doesn't buy into, into operating with integrity, then you're lost. Because um, I like to say that the leader at a company is the thermostat for integrity, not the thermometer. Right? The thermometer just takes the temperature. The thermostat's the one that actually sets the temperature. So if the leader sets the temperature for integrity as this is going to be really important to us, and this is the way that we're going to act, then everyone is operating in this environment, right, where they know that this is the way that the, the leadership is going to, to work, and therefore we got to work this way. But on the other extreme, if the leader doesn't talk about integrity, or all they're talking about are, we've got to hit this business number, I want these results no matter what, well, that sets a very different temperature in the world. But it doesn't matter how much integrity you may have. It's very hard if you're operating in that temperature-controlled uh, environment by the CEO uh, to, to actually make a lot of progress because the CEO sets it. So, uh, you know, th th that's, I think, the, uh, a, a really good example of intentional integrity. CEO has got to buy in right from the front, talk about it, be willing to uh, evangelize it a bit in the company. That's where you can have a big impact. Uh, the other C's relate to what's possible once the CEO is bought in. Uh, once the CEO buys in, everything's possible. And you can, you can actually start with a code of ethics, which is the next C. Um, a, a code of ethics needs to be something personal to a company. You know, every company is different. Small companies might not need a real lengthy code of ethics. They can do something fairly short and informal. Uh, companies that get larger and more, their businesses are more complex might need something longer. But it's really important that the employees are, because one person uh, can't determine integrity for an entire company, because everybody's views are different. You know, this is the value of diversity. So when we worked on our code at Airbnb, we got a lot of input from different people all around the world. We got input from people in marketing, finance, sales, customer support, because everybody sees it a little differently. And only if I think you're willing to listen to a lot of different perspectives and then put it all into a document where the language of the company uh, is what, what rules there. Now that sets a great personal tone and that's where you can have a code that makes real impact. Now, the rest of things involve how you communicate the code, um, what the consequences are when there's a violation for the code um, and the constant communication that you need to have um, on a regular basis to the company in order to make sure it stays top of mind. So I wanted to uh, drill down on a couple of those points. One, the CEO and the importance of the CEO. How does the CEO communicate her commitment to integrity? Well, you know, she can start by actually talking about it in company meetings. Um, if a, a, a CEO never mentions 
the importance of doing things the right way. Never talks about a greater purpose other than making money. Boy, that sets the temperature in the room. But if a CEO adopts a stakeholder approach, for example, to capitalism and starts saying, you know what, our investors are really important, but our customers are meaningful to us. You, the employees, are meaningful. And we owe something to our communities where we operate. Uh, by simply talking about that and then even maybe setting some metrics around how you're going to measure your effectiveness with all these different stakeholders. You know, a lot of times what you measure is what people do. And if the CEO says, we're going we're gonna to start measuring the impact, for example, that we're having on the environment. Uh, and we're going to commit that we're going to, like, for example, what Microsoft did. We're going to be carbon negative by 2030. Uh, well, by measuring it, by setting out the challenge as the leader and by saying it's important, that makes all the difference in the world. So my other question relates to uh, the board of directors. What do you see the board's role in integrity and more broadly in corporate purpose and in um, you know, setting the temperature? Well, you know, the board is uh, the one that needs to work with the CEO to make sure we all understand what the purpose of the company is, right? Um, why the company exists. Is it more than just profit? It needs to be, I think. And, but a board has to buy into that, right? Because ultimately the CEO knows who their boss is. And if the, if the CEO knows that the board is only looking at a bottom line profit number, that puts them in an extremely difficult position to operate with multiple stakeholders in mind and to be doing the right thing, at least in terms of short-term numbers. Um, I also think the board can do a great job setting the message with the CEO right up front. Great example of this would be uh, with romantic encounters. So we've seen a number of CEOs use their position uh, to get sex uh, with employees uh, at a company, right? Or with vendors or suppliers. When it comes out, it has an incredibly uh, negative impact on the brand and on the CEO. What I don't understand is why doesn't a board have a conversation right up front with a candidate? Say, look, we'd like for you to uh, we think you'd be, be a terrific CEO for the company. But we want to talk about how you're going to demonstrate integrity. We propose that you pledge to us and to the entire company that you are not going to engage in any romantic relationship with employees or vendors, uh, even quote-unquote consensual ones. Uh, we ought to take, you ought to take that right off the table. Are you willing to do that? And if you're specific with a CEO like that right up front, you as a board are sending a message, a very strong message to the CEO about what matters to you. And by eliminating ambiguity, just making a very clean rule like that, you're greatly reducing the potential that you're actually gonna have a problem. And if you do have a problem, makes it a lot easier to decide what to do about it because now the person broke their commitment to you. And in fact, we're seeing that um in executive compensation agreements uh, post the Me Too era, it is certainly not widespread uh, by any means, um, but there is some movement there. So that, so I, I, I agree with you. And it goes back to investors too, Amelia. So in when you're in venture capital, what are you talking to your CEOs about? What are you saying to them? If the only thing you're, you're telling them to measure is their revenue number, Obviously, the revenue number is important. Obviously, customers are important. You got to talk about how many contracts are coming in uh, and the like. But if that's the only thing they hear, then they are going to believe that's the only thing that they need to focus on. 
So my message to, to entrepreneurs is uh, be careful who you take money from. Find out what's really important to them. If all they're talking to you are about the financial numbers, then don't expect that to change once you've accepted their money because they're going to keep pushing you on that. Uh, find out what investors actually care about something that's a little bit bigger than just the, the quarterly number. And are they trying to, are they also going to push you and encourage you to have a positive impact on the world as a whole? So the other uh, thing that I wanted to make sure that we addressed, uh, because we've talked about it in the past and I was very impressed by it, is the communication, how important the communication is. Can you tell our audience about how you personally communicated integrity at Airbnb uh, to employees around the world? Well, one of the ways we started was at orientation. Uh, you know what? There's no better time to send a message to employees about how you want to operate as a company than when they first start. Meg Whitman used to do this when we were at eBay. Meg Whitman used to personally, she's CEO of a big public company. She came in every week to orientation week. All the new employees, she sat down and had a talk with them about what she believed eBay's purpose was in the world and how she wanted to operate. So that's a powerful message. And I learned from that. So uh, when I got to Airbnb, I said, you know what? I want to have a talk with all of the new hires when they start right up front about how, what our code of ethics is about. What are the key elements of it? What are examples of areas where people have fallen short and what our expectations are of you? I never really dreamed how powerful that would be though. I, the, the, we do about 20 to 25 classes uh, during orientation week at Airbnb, and they do blind surveys at the end. The ethics class is number one ranked class. Uh, the power of this, uh, I went on a world tour, literally visited all the offices at Airbnb and did the same talk and, and got the same reaction. And now everybody knows we're on the same page. They've now heard from a member of the executive team. We've all heard the same message. We've talked about it. That got, I think, everything off to a really strong start. Thank you for for that and um just to emphasize you continued whether you know virtually or in person uh doing those orientations yourself is that right yeah, absolutely uh because if you you can't delegate something like that to a mid-level manager in hr as nice as they may be and as good as they might be at delivering the point is they aren't a leader in the company and this is something that people really appreciate hearing from the top you Somebody at one point said, well, Rob, why don't we just video you doing it? And I, I said, you know what? That shows people exactly how important it is. That, boy, it was important enough for an executive to spend an hour one time. But it lacks the human element. It lacks the authenticity. lacks the give and take that we can have in sessions like that. So we, I never did it that way. We always did them live. So Rob, thank you so much for uh, describing how you personally advocated for integrity at Airbnb. I wanted to ask about something that I'm very interested in, which we've also discussed in the past, which is the relationship between risk and integrity. Risk is, of course, very top of mind for investors and companies today. How do you see that relationship? Is, you know, integrity costs money, obviously, uh, to advocate for. Is this something that companies should put resources behind given the tough times ahead and why? The surprising thing is that integrity really doesn't cost that much. Uh, you know what? You, what it takes is it takes courage to speak up about it. Uh, 
it takes uh, time to put a little energy into it, to, to do things like showing up at orientation or going out to the offices and talking about it. From a budget perspective, in the short term, it doesn't really cost you much either. Uh, because like, at Airbnb, for example, we used ethics uh, advisors, ambassadors. So we had employees who had day jobs. They were in sales, customer support, and the like. They volunteered their time to learn the code of ethics, to join a group, and then they were a resource for everyone inside the company. So, which I think is actually far more powerful than having an ethics person sitting over in the legal department somewhere. Now you got people actually sitting with all the teams who believe in the power of integrity. They're a, a resource for employees on that team where they, there's someone they know. They're not a scary lawyer in headquarters. So I, I think that that is uh, a great example of a way that you can drive integrity into your culture without spending a lot of money. I think people also fear that doing the right thing somehow is uh, bad for business. The business doggy dog, right? And it's, but the, the data, and you've seen the data too, Amelia, over and over again, companies that do well in integrity scores and in ethics actually outperform the market and outperform their competitors. And when you think about it, it makes sense because employees love it, right? Employees stay longer, they're more energized and inspired. Customers, we are now live in an age of conscious consumerism. Consumers are moving their money. And if they see a company that has values that don't align with their values, they're just going to move their money and spend it somewhere else. Um, companies who do integrity better also have lower audit costs, lower regulatory costs. So if you run a company with integrity, it's not like it costs you money. It's actually going to drive more benefit your way financially. And that's the beauty of this whole thing. I, I don't have to sell people on oh, do it because it's the right thing to do. I can actually look at you and say, do it because it's ultimately going to help your bottom line. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And the points that you make with respect to employees and consumers and you know investors, regulators are, are emphasized by a growing body of data. Um, so I always like to end the ESG beat by giving our guests a magic wand and a crystal ball. So let's start with a magic wand. If I gave you a magic wand and you could change something about the way that companies approach integrity today, what would that be? I would love to eliminate the short-termism that exists in our uh, markets in general and in the way that companies operate. Let's start by getting rid of quarterly uh, projections that we have to report to the market every quarter about things. Um, let's start with a broader set of metrics for reporting. So instead of just reporting financial numbers, why don't we also uh, make it a standard that companies have to report numbers relating to uh, ESG. Uh, talk about uh, other things beyond just the, the financial numbers. So if I had a magic wand and I could change that landscape, let's, let's eliminate short-termism in the market, the financial markets, and let's replace it with a layer of broader stakeholder metrics that become standard uh, for re reporting results to the street. Yeah, and uh, is it your view that that short-term focus drives uh, unethical behavior? It does. Have, have you seen I'm that? I'm convinced that it does. Sure, because people have so much pressure to hit a financial number 
that's when they say things like, do whatever it takes. This has got to get done. We have to hit this number. It almost becomes a panic because what happens if the stock price goes down? Well, they're afraid that they're going to lose their job. And by the way, since their compensation is so directly tied to that stock number, they're hurt financially as well. I like to take some of that short termism off the table because it actually hurts companies. I'd love for them to be able to think a little bit more long term in their approach, do things that are not designed just to get by and hit this quarter's number, but do things that are designed to help. You know, Brian talks about having an infinite time horizon where he doesn't think even long term. He wants to build a company that will last indefinitely. And so therefore, he always wants to do the right thing, even if it won't ultimately show up in the numbers for 10 years. So speaking of that infinite time horizon, I'm going to give you a crystal ball and ask you to look into the future. Uh, maybe not the infinite future, but maybe more the next uh, the next few years. What, what do you see in your crystal ball with respect to how companies approach integrity? The world's moving very quickly and we are getting closer and closer and closer together. The world is. Uh, things that happen in one part of the world are impacting people in other areas of the world, the pandemic, climate change, even racial justice. You know, injustice to one group is now affecting all of us because we're so connected now as a world. This connectedness, I think, is leading companies, uh, pushing companies hard toward acting with integrity. So I think we are in the relatively early days of an integrity revolution where customers, employees, communities, and governments are pushing leaders and pushing companies to think more broadly, have a broader purpose, and do good in the world. And that is, I think, going to become more the norm, more what is expected. And those that are slow, I think, to pick up on this are going to be hurt in the next several years. Well, I hope that your crystal ball is accurate. Um, and I hope that you and I stay connected uh, as well in, in the years to come. I always enjoy our uh, discussions and I um, look forward to continuing to share your book, Intentional Integrity. Thank you so much for writing it and for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.